Hello, advisors. I'm Dan Smeda. Welcome to the True Advisor Podcast. Today, we'll do a few things, starting with something I absolutely love to do. We're going to look through the lens of love to debunk a popular myth about client objections. Then I'll share another story of my personal adventures in client relations. Hope you can relate. And we'll talk about how the five love languages actually helps you become a better advisor. Turns out today's podcast is all about love, which I love. Let's go. Let's start today by taking on a very popular idea if you follow any of the sales trainer types out there, which I don't necessarily recommend. And that's that you shouldn't necessarily believe clients when they object to your advice or offering. Let's say, for example, you have a client that falls into a category where they would incur a cost for your planning services. You share this with them in great detail. You discuss how it will benefit them and meet their needs. They hear you out. They consider your advice and politely say, "Mm, I don't think we need your planning services. So what would you do as an advisor in this situation? Well, I'll tell you what not to do, and that is to look to your typical sales trainer type for advice. Now, you know what I did? I Googled the phrase, an objection is just, put that in quotes, and then I skimmed through the first 10 pages of results. And I'll tell you, the advice you get there, frankly, uh, it's a train wreck. (laughs) Uh, A no is just a directional signal. A no may be real or may be just someone unwilling to make a decision now. A no is a necessary step on the journey to yes. Well, I don't know about that. One well-known speaker who I will not name suggests that when a customer says, I'm not interested, it's actually just a smokescreen and hides another truer objection. To all this, I've just got to say, really? To shine a real light on this sham advice, all you have to do is look at it through the lens of love, using the question, if you were dating someone, would this be a good idea? And I'll tell you, the answer in the case of most objection handling is no. In love, if you were to treat objections like smoke screens or mere obstacles on the drive to your destination, frankly, you are a pig and you deserve whatever restraining orders are currently in force against you. I mean, that's not you, but it's probably people you know. We do it all the time in business, and we allow it to happen all the time, right? Objection handling. I think the fact we even call it objection handling is ridiculous. Can we please replace that with objection respecting? How about that? As a matter of fact, objection from clients, they actually are an opportunity, but they're the opposite of the opportunity most people think. Let's break it down for a moment. I'll keep it simple if you're driving. Really, there's just three things. First, client objections are actually an opportunity to introspect, to rethink your own strategy and your execution as an advisor. When you hear a client saying, I don't think so, I think it's self-centered to hear that and say, ooh, they don't get it. I think the more humble and frankly, the more client-centric approach is to ask yourself as an advisor, what did I miss? Right? Why is my advice off target? What did I miss? That's a fundamental difference in mindset and one that frankly is in short supply out there. Just pause and that question of yourself in itself is a gateway to a different approach and one that's considerably more respectful of clients, right? Respect the objection. The second opportunity with client objections is the opportunity to empathize. And by that, I mean, not just saying, but actually seeking to understand the hesitation or the concern. 
Even if you don't get why they're objecting, you can at least understand that they are objection, objectioning, <laughs> and you can leave it at that. And you know, uh, simply empathizing with customers, taking their objection at face value is so rare and so different that it completely disarms a lot of clients. They're bracing for the traditional feel, felt, found, and you're not doing it. Simply trying to push your way through objections and hesitation, uh, you know, that makes you salesy. Not pushing your way through objections, accepting and respecting and understanding them makes you different than almost any other professional that's trying to convince them to change. It's disarming. The third opportunity with client objections is the opportunity to put reciprocity to work in the relationship. Here's what I mean. Let's go back to my example from earlier about a client who declines to pay a fee for your planning services. Well, instead of trying to push through the objection, what if you say, I understand and that's fine. We don't have to add planning services. But what about the rest of your siblings? Would any of them appreciate this help? Could you please mention to them that I can possibly help them with this? Hmm. Here's what happens. Because you've conceded their objection and you step back from that, the law of reciprocity kicks in. It's our innate desire to return the favor, be it good or bad. You've given them a good thing, no pressure, respecting their wishes, backing off. And in return, clients are more inclined to gift you something. Well, why not a referral? This is an underrated opportunity to really make a different move with clients than you might have anticipated. But it starts with conceding the objection, respecting it, taking it at face value, and not trying to fight it. Now, that all starts with, though, again, mindset. Are you willing to trust that a client's objection is real for them? Are you willing to put the seeds of the relationship and the needs of the relationship over your need for them to see the wisdom of your advice? Those are hard questions when you see the way so clearly and the client doesn't necessarily seem to get it. It definitely takes discipline to hit pause before you start to respond to an objection and ask yourself a couple of those questions, right? What are the questions? Questions like, you know, what did I miss? How can I respect this objection? How can I pull where I might want to push and in so doing, maybe earn a little bit of reciprocity? I guess the bottom line here is that don't believe any of the crap your sales training types will tell you about handling objections. True advisors respect the objection, they understand it, they let it live, and they work with it. It's real for the client, that means it's real for us. Now that we've done some debunking of conventional wisdom, here's a story about client relations that just happened to me and underscores the power of the principles we talk about here on the True Advisor Podcast. You know I talk a lot about the client-centric agenda and I'm a dedicated practitioner when it comes to using the agenda to align with clients and really to make meetings more efficient. So here's what happened to me about a week ago as of this recording. I met with the managing director of one of my major clients to review 2019 and hopefully uh, set the stage for a little more, uh, a little more work for me in 2020, you know. Just like we talk about in Advisory Edge training, I made the agenda all about the client, right? It's your results so far, your outlook for 2020, how you can achieve, right? And, but it's not necessarily what's in the agenda sometimes, it's how you use it. And here's what happened to me. So uh, I circulated the agenda in advance, right? Asked for input, 
knowing full well that sometimes you get that input prior to the meeting and sometimes you don't until you're actually in the meeting. You know, I get it, clients are busy and they don't always have time to focus on your meeting until your meeting starts. That's what happened in this case, right? We'd done the, hey, how you doings? I just had ticked off the agenda verbally and uh, it was the fundamental agenda I used for my version of the review meetings, right? Uh, I paused though, after I said, how about these three things, right? Results, outlook, strategies to get you there. I paused because I've learned not to assume anything about the agenda. And I just asked, where would you like to start, Steve? <laughs> and the client said, well, let's talk about what I'm doing right now. And with that, he launched into his plans for 2020, what he was trying to achieve, how he was changing things and how I could help him. And I mean, that was the meeting, right? We spent the whole meeting talking about the future and never for a minute did we talk about the past. Here's my point. Not every client's like that, but some are. <laughs> It's a mistake for you to assume that everyone wants the same thing from your meetings or that your standard agenda is the best agenda for them. In my case, the client's agenda was way better than mine, right? I definitely wanted to talk more about my business opportunities for 2020 than how much butt I had kicked for him so far. The irony of that situation, of course, is that I put most of my meeting prep into the results reporting we never used. I had collected the data, analyzed, created, right, made the presentation, laid out how we'd done compared to his goals and benchmarks. The deck was produced, ready to go. We never touched it. And that's okay because you got to have it. But just because you've made it and put the effort in doesn't mean that that's what you got to use, go through and start with. As a matter of fact, the juicy parts of the meeting were the easiest parts. He talked, I listened, I asked, he talked some more, and we spent the whole meeting, not just part of the meeting, but the whole meeting, figuring out how I could be more useful to him next year. And the point is, if that's you and your client, and that's what happened to you, you've just had a more productive meeting for both of you. You spent the time looking forward uh, and looking at how to get their needs met versus, oh, here's what I've done for you so far. If that's what the client wants, that's a great agenda. And that's all happens thanks to the simple strategy of slowing down at the front end and getting the client to share their agenda for the meeting. Even in a standard meeting, like an annual review where you have an agenda and there are things you typically do, take a moment, get client centric there. Yeah, lay out your agenda, but then pause, see how they like it. Ask what's on their agenda, what they'd like to get out of your time together. Ask them where they'd like to start. That's what's meaningful for them. Seriously, I have a ton of stories from advisors, financial and otherwise, who have reported back that this little pause, this pause where you get client-centric instead of going into your advisor spiel, it's golden. It's one of those golden moments we talk about that separates you from the animals. So there's a story from my world. I'm eating my own pudding out there. Sometimes it tastes good. Now, here's a story from the field about how sometimes the things you read in one domain and learn in one area cross over and help you in other domains. In this case, it's love and advising. <laughs> now, anyone who knows me knows I'm a big fan of the book, The Five Love Languages by Gary Chapman, right? I book reviewed it in the digest. I talk about it in workshops. 
And the basic premise of the book is that there are five types of or five ways that we express love. We all have preferences and your preferences may be different from mine. For example, I, Dan, thrive on words of affirmation, acts of service. I tell you nice things and hold the door open for you, and I appreciate the same. On the other hand, I suck at gifts. So there you go. Well, the real point of the book, though, is that when you recognize and appreciate the differences in the five love languages and people's preferences, you can relate better to the people you love. It's a great book. I recommend you get it. Gary Chapman, Five Love Languages. And I just happen to believe it applies to business, not just personal life. If you love your clients, like I do, or even a little bit, wouldn't you want to show them the love in a way they'd appreciate? So I talk about all the time uh, that, that principle of showing people the love in the way they appreciate, not necessarily in the way you appreciate. Here's a story from a real advisor who emailed me and wanted to share, but didn't want to share names. The, actually, uh, the actual email he sent me actually uh, was sort of fairly wordy and unexcited, so I've taken the liberty of paraphrasing and punching it up here for the podcast. Can we get some dramatic music, please? Dear Dan, I was meeting with a client I've worked with for a long time. We were looking at his gifting strategy and how he was planning to distribute assets both in retirement and posthumously. I took your advice and read Chapman's book, and as I looked at this client, I realized he was all about words of affirmation. He's very complimentary, and he definitely has sought validation from me at various points in time. So as we were looking through the strategy for his alma mater, I did something I'd never done before. I complimented him on his strategy. I told him he was doing the right thing and that I respected him for wanting to give back and contribute and leave a legacy. Now, that was simple words of affirmation for me, something I normally don't do, but it really changed the conversation. The client actually got a little emotional and it launched us into a pretty deep discussion about life and values. I felt like we really got to know each other more and the relationship was strengthened simply because I spoke his language. And he immediately fired his other advisors and consolidated all his assets with me. Okay, all right, I tagged that coda on myself, but you get the point. Communicating in the client's love language helps you communicate better, grow the relationship, align with clients, build trust. That ultimately pays off whether or not you see an immediate lift. So my advice for you as advisors is think about where you can apply the five love languages to your practice for better results because relationships and results are what we're all about on the True Advisor Podcast. I'm still Dan Smeda. May all your advice be valuable and may all of it be taken. Good luck. <laughs>